Today on Stick to Football, Connor and I are back in the studio. We're going to break down a lot of what we saw in week five, but also we want to look at the first year head coaches, the rookies who were out there. We had six first-time head coaches hired this year. How are they performing? We're also going to get into our first pick scenarios for some of these teams that are struggling. There's still four winless teams around the league, so we're going to try to help those guys out. Before getting to your draft on draft questions, but Connor, before we jump into the show, I have to remind everyone, this Saturday, we will be in Dallas, Texas at Off the Cuff. Again, they're opening up early for us. 9 a.m., the doors are going to open. We're going to do the podcast. We're going to have a pregame event, and then the Texas OU game kicks off at 11.30. We're going to be there for a watch party, so if you want to come watch the game with us, tickets to this game are ridiculously expensive. We're going to be across the interstate from the game watching it with you guys. So definitely hope to see everyone out there. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. I can't wait to be at off the cuff. Obviously, we've had a really good turnout for the tailgates. It looks like you guys had a great weekend in Kansas City. So things are going really well with the tailgate tour. And we're excited to see everyone out there this weekend in Dallas. Yeah, someone who's not excited or maybe he is excited right now. Let's jump right into it. Jay Gruden gets fired (laughs) Monday morning at 5 a.m. Eastern time, so 4 a.m., which is about what time Mello and I got home from the tailgate. So I, I was still up with him. But we didn't get a chance to talk about this because it happens Monday morning. I, I will say, uh, having to kind of cover the story behind the scenes for the last couple of days, you know, putting out calls, texts to see if this is something we wanted to cover on the content side of things with Bleacher Report, it really sounds like Jay Gruden is not upset. He's going to get paid to finish the year. His brother's the head coach in Oakland, so he knows he can go get a job if he needs to get one. But also, I think that there is a belief from people close to Jay that said they wanted to get out of there before it completely burnt to the ground because the stain of this team is not going to be on him. It's going to be on Daniel Snyder and Bruce Allen, who's the team president. Yeah, I look at that as well, and I think this was already unfolding into disaster territory, and it's nice for both sides that the court is cut. I think when you're looking at the situation, Matt, Bruce Allen didn't do himself any favors in the press conference. I think nobody in this situation is looking at Jay Gruden and going, wow, you screwed this thing up. I think they're going and looking at it and saying, Washington has some serious organizational issues from the top down, and it could have gotten even worse. I actually, out of all of this, I think I feel really bad for Dwayne Haskins, who seems to be right in the middle of it. It wasn't wanted by the coaches, was wanted by ownership. Now there's reports saying he's not ready and he's struggling mentally, which we know that it hasn't been an issue with him in the past. So this is a disaster. I'm curious to see where Jay Gruden ends up because I know when there was some rumors going around that he could be fired after last year and he survived that teams that were looking for head coaches really liked him. So I don't think this is the end of Jay Gruden, maybe not as a head coach next year, but I think like you said, Matt, he has a lot of job security, even in other roles around the league. Yeah, I think he's going to be just fine. And and I'll add one thing I I have heard as some names start to leak out. I know some people have said Mike Tomlin with how poorly the Steelers are doing. It might be a situation where he could jump uh, to Washington to kind of start over but I'm, I want to throw this name at you. Kevin O'Callaghan, who was a third-round pick by the Patriots back in the day, didn't really last in the NFL, but he's been coaching in the league after being a private quarterbacks coach. He's been uh, in the league since 2015. He's had a very fast rise up the ladder. There's a lot of people that are already saying this might be that next, not Sean McVay, but that next young hire where teams really want to get ahead of instead of wait around for it. And I, it's something I talked about when, when Sean McVay got hired. Something I talked about when Matt Nagy got hired as well. Teams would rather hire 
these offensive minds a year too early instead of a year too late and let them grow on the job a little bit. Yeah, it's interesting because O'Connell is only 34 years old. He's going to yep. take over the play calling. You know, he's been developing there. So it is really this is almost like a Freddie Kitchens trial. Doesn't it feel that way again, Matt? Yeah, and, and like Freddie Kitchens, not the interim head coach, but the retaining his offensive exactly. coordinator title. Yeah, and I, I think it is a little bit of an audition to see what he can do, how the players respond to him, how he interacts with, with ownership. So that that is a big one. We had two very good primetime games. Sunday night, again, Melo and I recorded before the game because we were at a tailgate. So we didn't get a, a reaction to Sunday night football. And then Monday night football, which was an absolute beatdown. But there is a lot to talk about on and off the field with these two games, especially that Niners-Browns game. But I want to quickly go back to what happened Sunday night. When you're in the stadium, like it's sometimes hard to get the perspective of what's what's happening in the bigger picture. You almost live play-to-play. You know, you get caught up in the atmosphere of the game. So going back and watching this game yesterday, watching the, the condensed version of this on NFL Game Pass, I could not believe how well the Colts' offensive line dominated the Chiefs' defensive line. Like Chris Jones and Frank Clark need to they need to step up. And I know Jones is banged up right now, but my goodness, like I I was shocked at how well the Colts just controlled the line of scrimmage. That was the biggest takeaway for me in this one. I think when you look at the Colts, because of the way they've built the team in the trenches on the offensive side of the ball, they could play with anyone. That's what happens when you build that kind of offensive line. Now, Marlon Mack deserves a lot of credit. The turnaround of this player, I mean, when we watched him coming out of college, he always had the outside speed. But now the patience, the vision, the ability to break tackles, he looks like a different player to me, Matt. And I think I don't want to harp on this too much, but you wonder if this team had Andrew Luck would they be, you know, maybe the best team or a top two team in the AFC? I don't know. Jacoby's doing a fine job. I think this win for the Colts just shows that they're not going anywhere because they have such a key foundation where it matters most. Yeah, they absolutely do. And and it is up front. It reminds me of how Dallas built. And, and they didn't reach, you know, super high levels, but they built a really good offensive line and it, it helped turn around that franchise. I think that's where we see the Colts are right now. Uh, and for the Chiefs, I think two weeks in a row, we've seen Mahomes look human. To some degree, there was the play where he's like running around for his life and then throws a touchdown pass. So not completely human, but closer to human. And I think some of that will help once Eric Fisher's back, once Tyreek Hill's back. The offense just does not look the same right now. And they look they just look disjointed. Cameron Irving is obviously not a left tackle, and I think that's a big part of the issue right now. Yeah, it's a problem. I think getting Fisher back is really like an untalked about story, especially being somewhat local to Kansas City. Everyone's like panicking about the defense, but the offense has been slowed down the last two weeks, which is why I mean they did beat Detroit, but that's why they lost, you know, Sunday night, not being able to score any points. So I don't think the sky is falling in Kansas City. You score 13 points. It's really the first bad offensive performance of the Mahomes era. I think they're going to be just fine. But when you look at how that the defensive line, I mean, you have guys that are getting paid up there. You need Chris Jones, who's wanting a new contract. You need Frank Clark. We need to see those guys start to make bigger, more consistent plays. And and I'll, I'll say you got to throw something on the linebackers too because they Marlon Mack was just picking his spots all night yep. long. The Chiefs could do nothing to stop him. So, and as soon as you get you know the box loaded and that happened, you see Honey Badger walk down. Then Jacoby Brissett has these very high percentage throws over the top. So, a little disappointing for our Chiefs fans out there. I know we got a lot of Colts fans who are very happy about that win, though. Someone else who's very happy, dude, me. <laughs> 
Very happy last night. For watching multiple reasons. Multiple reasons. Not only was it great to see the Niners continue to be undefeated 4-0, the only undefeated team in the NFC at this point, it was great to see guys like Matt Breida on a national stage, you know, break out and show that I think there's this perception of who he is that's not who he is. Like, he's a home run hitter. He's one of the fastest running backs in football. That's what they've built here. Tevin Coleman had almost 100 yards. It, it was just a, it was like an old school Niners game. But Nick Bosa absolutely trolling Baker Mayfield, Richard Sherman's comments after the game, and then the fact that like Baker continues to struggle. This is something we haven't talked about on the show because I think we wanted to wait and see what happened. You don't want to be that guy that's like jumping on a player who has one bad game. But now we are four games in, and the Browns have been incredibly inconsistent. Last night, Baker is 8 of 22 for 100 oh. yards. Two interceptions. One, not entirely his fault. The pass to Antonio Callaway. It wasn't a great throw, but it, it really should have been caught. But just a really, really bad night for Baker Mayfield across the board. I mean, the, the Niners were able to get after him uh, four times. They sacked him. And a lot of those were him holding the ball too long in the pocket. That's the problem for me, Matt. He keeps drifting away from pressure, whether the offensive line holds up or not. He does not have the trust in them where he's drifting himself into sacks or bad throws. And I think when it comes down to it for me, I look at this Browns team. There are struggles in a lot of key areas, the offensive line being one, Baker being a huge one. I think there was a lack of targets at times for Odell, which we've seen his play really drift away when he's not involved. Uh, the identity, Nick Chubb needs to be the identity of this offense. I think that's very important. You know, Miles Garrett is still a great player, but there's only so much he could do. And credit to the Niners. I, I did not think this team would have this kind of start, and they've just been phenomenal. The play calling has been great. The defensive line looks like the best in football right now. They're getting early returns from Nick Bosa. They have a lot of talent around him. I think Mike McDaniel deserves a ton of credit for the run game that he's calling right now in his second year as their run coordinator. And there's a reason why Kyle Shanahan blocked him from taking OC jobs elsewhere, like the Packers, to go work with LaFleur. So I look at this Niners team right now, and it's clicking. And this is a big win for them. This is their biggest win of the season. I don't think there's, there should be reasons to doubt them. And then you look back at Baker. If you want to, you know, talk that kind of talk all offseason and things start out on a wrong note, there's going to be people that clap back. There's people that remember it from college. That's Nick Bosa. There's people, veterans that have been doing this a long time in the NFL and don't like the bullshit. That's Richard Sherman. And I like Baker, but I think the act might have worn out a little too much. And I think it's time to put up some points and win some football games a little more consistently. Well, yeah, and let's start at pregame because I actually didn't catch this. I got home. Neither did I. Right at kickoff, basically. And so I I, I don't know if this was covered on the broadcast. Someone should – I actually want to know. So please tweet us if this was covered on the pregame broadcast. Richard Sherman says that Baker Mayfield refused to shake their hand before the game. And I want to be fair and balanced here. When, when the Kansas players did this to Baker Mayfield, I went off. It was like, that's petty. That's chicken shit. Like – Come on, have some respect for your opponent. Have some respect for the man across the field from you because you never know. Like, especially in the NFL, you could be on that guy's team next year. You know, it's just, oh, yeah. don't act like that. And so to do that is just incredibly disrespectful. So when Kansas did it, I thought it was justified when Baker went off and he's grabbing his crotch and yelling across the field. I understand that he felt disrespected and acted out. But then to turn around 
two years later and to do that to a professional, a, a Hall of Famer like Richard Sherman, a great player. That's just classless. And think what you want about Richard Sherman. I have not. I've interacted with him a lot throughout my career, which it, it runs about the same length as his. He has always been classy, thoughtful, respectful. And I would have said this when he was a Seahawk. I'm not just saying this because he plays for my favorite team. We used to do stuff with him, early BR video all the time. I always had a great time with Richard Sherman. He was so approachable and helpful. And so for Baker Mayfield, I understand you want a competitive edge and like the juices are flowing. There's a time and place to be competitive. And when that man's like trying to shake your hand before the game, I just feel like that is really, really tacky for Baker Mayfield to now take something that he thought was a slight, you know, two years ago, and now he's doing it to someone else. That just doesn't feel fair to me. Yeah, it, it wasn't a great move. I I, had, I thought George Kittle had an interesting take on it. You know, Kittle's was kind of like, well, that's his alternate persona that he creates. And, you know, we all of our ways, we get ourselves immersed before the game. Kittle didn't really seem to mind it. But at the same time, Kittle is a guy that is a very interesting character. And he's also yep. one of the best tight ends in football. And that's as a blocker and as a pass catcher. And he could do whatever the hell he wants because every single Sunday, George Kittle is one of the best tight ends in football. Baker Mayfield right now is not one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He's not a top 10 quarterback this year. He, I don't think he's been a top 20 quarterback and I want Baker to be great, but at some point, and I don't want him to change who he is, but it feels like there's been a little extra sauce since Oklahoma because he knew the situation he was walking to in Cleveland. I think his, you know, working with Freddie, Freddie allows him to be who he is, which is great. But at the end of the day, at some point, do you turn it down? Just a little bit. You don't have to be Matt Ryan. You know what right. I mean? You don't have to you do that. You could be Aaron Rodgers. You could be Aaron Rodgers. But, yeah. man, like, it's just it's crazy to me that it's come to this where it so much of Baker is about all of these things that he's doing that don't have to do with football anymore. And I think it's almost taking away from the player he can be that we know he could be. Well, and I said this summer because this was a hot topic all summer. And I said, I don't care if Baker talks, if they Same. win, if they win, if you're going to be the guy that talks and is disrespectful and you're losing, it's probably not going to work for you for very long. So I don't know if he tones it down. I don't, it's not working. Like what they're doing in Cleveland is just not working. And, and and like on the other side of this, I don't want to make this all about Baker. Their defense should not be as bad as they are. Greedy Williams being out, Denzel Ward being out, or being hurt yep. at least. It hurts. That that does. That affects it a lot, but their defense should not be as bad Everyone's as they're playing got injuries. Right now. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's got them. Find me a team that's healthy right now. So all right, let's take a break. We come back. We are gonna look at those winless teams. We're gonna look at these undefeated teams and run through the rookie head coaches. It is time to look at the winless teams. Ugh. There are four of them. And the teams that haven't lost, there are two of them now. It's starting to get pared down. I actually think a fun question. Do you think we'll have a winless team longer winless. or an undefeated team longer? So we're going to we're gonna lose one of these, yeah. unfortunately, after this weekend. Because the Redskins play the Dolphins. Oh, that's right. But uh, I'm not being a hater because I do think they've outproven my expectations. I think the Niners got to lose eventually. Right. I mean, they're not I going mean, undefeated. Yeah. I mean, they're well that I mean, let's see. Uh, OK, I think Sam, I think the Niners lose to the Rams this weekend. I will say this. Like, and I'm 
Everyone knows. I'm a Niners fan. They have outplayed my expectations. I picked them to go 8-8, eight and eight, I think. Um, yeah. They haven't played anyone yet. Like, I'll, I'll be that guy. I mean, they beat Tampa, Cincinnati, the Steelers, and the Browns. Those are not good football teams. Now, they dominated last night. They looked really good. I think they would have beat. If you play like that, you're going to beat almost anybody with the turnovers. Yeah. A couple lucky breaks, a great pass rush. The Rams game this weekend is going to be it's going to be amazing. Um, I I do think we have a winless team much much longer. Uh, the Jets play the Cowboys this weekend, and then the Patriots. Not great. And then the Patriots. So the Jets could easily be zero and six. Oh yeah, easily. And then you have the Jags. You're going to run into Menchu mania. This yeah, but hopefully Sam Spleen is back to normal right? by then. November 3rd. at least compete. I don't expect the Jets to win. At least compete in games. The Bengals have the Ravens, Jags, Rams, and Ravens in that stretch. Yeah. And then the Bengals, the are, are, the the Bengals are in serious winless territory this year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be some 2-14s and 14s out there when it's all said and done. Uh, we talked about the Redskins. They fired their head coach. Obviously, it's just in disarray there right now. Bill Callahan, the interim head coach, says they're going to go with uh, either Colt McCoy or Case Keenum. We're not going to see Dwayne Haskins this year. The Dolphins... I will at least defend the Dolphins because they tried to do this. This was they their plan. To They're going to have three first-round picks. This is what they wanted to do. They wanted to tank. So the Dolphins, like, you almost congratulate them because they're doing what they tried to do. The Bengals, however, they did not try to do this. I, they did not plan to be 0-5. And, and when you look at the Bengals, the only guy they're missing is A.J. Green. So, like, I will say this. I was never a fan of Zach Taylor being a head coach this soon. I thought he's in way over his head, especially for a front off, a team, excuse me, that doesn't have a traditional front office structure with, like, you know, your GM and then all your lieutenants. This is a very uh, unique setup that they have in Cincinnati, and I, I think it requires a very strong head coach. They play the Ravens, like you said, the Jags, the Rams, the Ravens. Then the Raiders. I mean, we could head into Thanksgiving with the Bengals not winning a football game. Yeah, we definitely can. We definitely can. And I think they took a gut punch early on by losing Jonah Williams for the year. I think when Zach Taylor came in, it was, hey, I'm going to rebuild this offensive line. I got a running back in place. I'll figure out the quarterback and see if he's the future or if not. But they they definitely are. They're in number one pick territory. Miami wants to be. Watch them beat the Redskins this week and end up picking like third overall. That would be right. unbelievable. The Jets, you know, I'm not making excuses. They are bad and they're poorly coached, but they should be getting their quarterback back soon. CJ Mosley's their best defensive player. He should be back soon. I think they sneak out. A, a, you know, they're going to sneak out wins. They're not going to be a winless team. And if I'm wrong, fire me to the moon. I don't know what to say, but. It, there's a lot of bad teams right now, Matt. That's the key point. And I think something that we're going to do later in this show is we're going to figure out what do these teams do at the top of the draft with so much talent versus quarterback need with a lot of these bad teams. Yeah, and I, I think with the Jets, they are poorly coached. And I, I think you could throw the Jets, you could throw the Bengals in here as teams with first-year head coaches, rookie head coaches that we are going to talk about. And let's just transition there right now, actually, because what do you do? Like, And I'll ask you as a Jets yeah. fan, are you guys just over Adam Gase, or does he get a pass <sighs> because Sam Darnold's been hurt, because the, the former front office did not do a good job of building an offensive line? I think that's fair to say at this point. Um, you, you're out, you know, some talented receiver. Le'Veon Bell does look amazing, but there are like some big problems here that are not a quick fix. It's hard to win with your practice squad quarterback, right? 
Like Luke Falk has been far and away the worst quarterback in football this year through a couple of games. At the same time, uh, if you didn't believe in the hire in the first place and the team looks lifeless, you know why? And Joe Douglas has a six-year deal. Adam Gase has a four-year deal. Joe has the power to pull the plug and get his own guy. I don't care how many rumors there are that they're friends. Right. I, I would be over it. I personally would. I would go get somebody more creative or that has, hasn't has been given a shot yet. And I'm just not a believer that Adam Gase is the guy. I never necessarily was. But at the same time, he's been dealt a raw hand and nobody's going to be winning these games. I mean, look at what happened. Kyle Shanahan lost 12 games when he lost his quarterback. So it's a raw deal for Adam Gase. But I, I mean, I'd be ready to move on anyway, just because I don't believe in the hire. Yeah, yeah, I, I liked the hire, but I liked the hire with the idea that that they weren't pushing the reset button. I don't think yeah. Adam Gase is the guy to build a team with. Like, if I, if you're going to rebuild, and I mean, you, when you start 0-5, you're rebuilding, or 0-4, like you're rebuilding, you're not making the playoffs, it's a rebuilding year. So I, I think you look at that and like, God, I would rather have someone else, anyone else yeah. almost, to build a team with, especially to institute culture and to set up accountability and structure that's just not Adam Gase. I thought he was someone who was more coming in to try to get this team over the hump. Like I would look at someone like Sean McDermott as a good example of what the Jets need. Yeah, great leader. Uh, hired a really good staff. I think you look at what yeah. Dable's doing there on the offense. McDermott can do everything else. He's coaching a top defense. He's a good leader. I think he has had good influence on personnel decisions. And I think he hired the right offensive coordinator to make it work. So I think... Yeah, when you hit on that. Yeah, I, I'm with that as well. And I think a team that has taken that Bills model is the Miami Dolphins with Brian Flores. He walks into a job like McDermott where you're not expected to win a lot of games. Walk into a job where you don't have your franchise quarterback yet. And you walk into a job where this team's going to be built on the back end of their defense, the heels of their defense. And, you know, it hasn't been pretty yet, but can we even judge Brian Flores right now, Matt? No, I don't think we can. And I, I'm glad that the football media hasn't like rushed to been like, oh, Brian it's Flores is fair. out. This was, the, this was the plan. As long as Stephen Ross is still on board, owner Stephen Ross, as long as he's still signing those checks and saying, this is the plan, you're going to have three picks probably in the top 15. You're definitely have two in the top 10 right now. We're okay with this. This is what we want to do. We're going to get a quarterback. We're going to get a pass rusher or a receiver, we're good with it. Then Chris Greer, the GM, and Brian Flores are are safe. They're fine. And I, I think I want someone in the AFC East to be smart enough to go, we're not beating New England until Tom Brady retires. So instead of trying to go 6-10 and 10 or 7-9, and nine, we're going to do what Miami did. So, yeah. We're going to tear this shit down, and it might take three years, but in three years, Tom Brady will be gone. So we will be hitting our peak right when Brady's gone and there will be a void in the AFC East. I don't know if the Dolphins are that smart. I like to think that they are because I think Chris Greer is a really, really intelligent guy and I want to see them succeed. So I hope that's what they're doing is let's look at the timing of this because you can't beat the Patriots at their own game. No one has been able to consistently do it. So why not start loading up for a future after them, basically? Yeah, that's how I think the Dolphins are looking at this thing where... I don't think they're pigeonholed into taking a quarterback next year. Uh, I think in at the end of things, if they pick number one, they'll take Tua. But I think they could take a Chase Young and use those other assets on an offensive line and build out a team. But they won't be in the panic mode where 2020 is, hey, you better win seven, eight, nine games. I, I don't think the Dolphins are in that kind of position right now. I really do think this is a three-year plan. 
And I have a feeling that Zach Taylor in Cincinnati will be given the same luxury. Yeah, I feel like Zach might be safer than expected again because because of that unconventional front office style that they have there where you're you're not going to get the GM who feels the pressure to make a move to save his own job. Like it's the owner basically. Like they they're running everything. I know Duke Tobin has a lot of power, but there's not your conventional structure here. So I think that allows them some flexibility. Um on the other side of this, you know, I've actually been really surprised with Matt LaFleur. Me too. I was not a huge fan of that hire, and I don't think their offense has played particularly well, but they're winning ball games. They have four wins. It's hard to be upset about a team that is four and one right now and just beat the Dallas Cowboys. So the offense, they're ranked thirteenth in points, twenty-fifth in yards, which is not great when you hire a guy who's a quote unquote offensive mastermind, but as long as they're winning ball games. And they're doing it, you know, I, I think Mike Pettin's defense has been very good so really far this good. year. As long as they're winning ballgames, I don't know that anyone's going to care. That, and we just saw Aaron Jones run all over a Dallas Cowboys team that was expected to be really strong in the front seven. I, yep. I think you look at this Dallas team right now, they need some help on that defensive line in the trenches right now. And for the, you know, credit to the Packers for LaFleur, because half of this battle with this job was getting along with Aaron Rodgers and keeping him happy. And this team is winning games, and I think Aaron Rodgers is pretty damn happy about that. Yeah, I think he is too. Yeah, and and has to be. And Rodgers only thrown one pick this year, which is huge. Like when I look at why are they winning, they're not turning the Just ball. Take care over. of the ball, and they're exactly. And and it's like it's so simple, but it's so beautiful. Couple guys in the middle. Cliff Kingsbury uh, got his first win. Congratulations! That wasn't a tie. Yeah. And I I think we're seeing Cliff like he's he's being very aggressive, and I like that. But this is still a bad team that's probably not going to win many more ball games. Freddie Kitchens, we talked about, really continues to struggle. The biggest surprise of the six rookie head coaches for me is this one. Vic Fangio has one win through five weeks. I did not expect that. I really thought like this is the best defensive coordinator in football, and you're going to give him Von Miller at the time, Bradley Chubb. You have Chris Harris Jr. in the back end. Like This should have been a good team. A veteran quarterback. Their offensive line is absolutely terrible. And they're just not able to get anything going offensively. I think it's why we're seeing them continue to struggle. Yeah, I think when you go back to Cliff, he's in the Zach Taylor mold where if you hire a coach that young, that's an offensive mind for a team that needs to be gutted almost and rebuilt, you're going to stay patient and give that a three-year window. I don't think Vic gets that window, Matt. Uh, He's 61 years old. There was a lot of question marks around the hire. As great as a defensive mind he was, there's question marks about Joe Flacco and the future quarterback with this team. I think for the Broncos, they have been even worse than treading water. But when you look at the roster right now, they are the classic tread water franchise. And I think at some point you need to start fresh, get a coach in there that's going to rebuild this offense and really get back to the way the game is going right now. And that, you know, they've drafted better over the years after some really bad years of drafting, but I just don't think Fangio is going to be given this crazy kind of leash. And let's not forget, they're in a division with the Chiefs, the Chargers, who, yeah, they just lost, but whatever. And the Raiders are looking a lot better. The Broncos are the team that's fallen behind. No, they absolutely are, man. And you're right. The Raiders, like, I could not believe they beat the Bears and, and to beat them the way they did. Yeah. So it, it is that time of year where it's like you have to be careful because if you have started winless, you're not making the playoffs. It is a statistical impossibility basically at this point no team has ever done it one team the 92 Chargers started 0-4 and made the playoffs no one has ever started 0-5 and made it so if you are one of those teams we mentioned before that's winless it's not going to be great 
Uh, how about the Patriots and Niners, though? I know we've talked about the Niners a lot on the show, but the Patriots are honestly a little bit of a surprise to me that they remain undefeated. They're not getting tight end production. The defense, though, has just been Great. absolutely amazing. And they've overcome a lot of injuries on the offensive line already. It's almost unfair how well this team just continues to roll despite whatever gets thrown in front of them. You know, Antonio Brown bullshit. Who cares? They're still the third best offense in football in terms of points. But the defense, they are allowing 6.8 points per game. You will win every game in the NFL if you can do that. That's the key right there for me. I think this defense has even picked up Tom Brady in his one bad outing at Buffalo. And we talked about how good that Buffalo defense is. I think New England is the classic case of, you know, they lose something somewhere. Like you said, tight end production this year. And, you know, they were thin at receiver at times, but they've had guys step up and they find a way to make it work elsewhere. The offense looks a little weaker. The defense gets ultimately much stronger. So this is what New England does. And as long as Bill Belichick is there, I think they'll always find a way to patch up their holes while regenerating elsewhere. Yep, that's that's how they're amazing. They know their team better than anyone else in the NFL, and they play to the strengths of it. So the Patriots' schedule is tough. I don't think we're going to see them go undefeated by any stretch, but they have the Giants, the Jets, the Browns, the Ravens in their next four. We could see them start 9-0. Yeah, I don't think that's it. Yeah, the ba- Baltimore is the only team that really scares me there. Yeah, and they've kind of been figured out. I know they won Sunday, but I think they've been a little bit figured out the past few weeks. So it'll be it's gonna be fun to watch. Uh, I'm sorry, it's boring. The Patriots are once again really good at football. Let's take a break. We come back. We'll rip through these first pick scenarios for the worst teams in the NFL. We mentioned there are some bad teams in the NFL right now. The good news if you're a bad team is you're going to get a good pick in the NFL draft, which it's already draft season, especially if you're a fan of the Bengals, Redskins, Dolphins, Jets, Broncos probably the Falcons as well. Yeah. It's just some not great football being played. We want to run through some scenarios. Let's start here. At number one is where the Cincinnati Bengals are currently projected to be because they uh, the, the strength of schedule is the worst. Of the teams without a win, their strength of schedule is the weakest, so they would have the first pick. The Bengals on the clock, if they finish with the first pick, they're going to draft to a tongue of Iloa. They can't not. It doesn't matter. Like Andy Dalton... I don't think Andy's that bad of a quarterback, but he's definitely not that good of a quarterback. If you have a chance to, to start over a quarterback, you have to do it. Yeah, and you're out of the money in Dalton's contract soon where this is the perfect time. And it's not like Andy Dalton is 24 years old where you're saying, hey, we think he'll get a lot better. You go with a player in this draft that can be a franchise passer and really set the tone for this brand of Bengals football that's coming in with Zach Taylor running the show. You know what I mean, Matt? They need an identity right now. That's what the Bengals don't have. And I think when you have Jonah Williams coming back next year, you can argue, hey, we feel like we have the offensive line going in the right direction for a rookie quarterback to come in here and thrive. Yeah, it is. I do believe that with the Bengals, like they getting Jonah back, they have Tyler Boyd, who they really believe in at the receiver position. They like Joe Mixon. I think it has to be quarterback here. I will say Chase Young is going to make things very difficult for all these teams drafting early. If you don't need a quarterback, Chase Young is by far the most impactful player. I still think Jerry Judy is a great wide receiver prospect, but Chase Young being an edge rusher, that's a premium position. So I I do think even teams like the Bengals are going to have to have a long conversation about this. It's like when Miles Garrett, I was just in the 2017 draft. Miles Garrett was so good and the Browns were so bad at evaluating. I think we have to throw that in there that 
Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and Mitchell Trubisky go after the pass rusher. So it will be something to watch this year. The Redskins right now would have the number two pick. I don't believe they're going to give up on Dwayne Haskins. I think this front office does like him quite a bit. Obviously, they drafted him last year. A new head coach might want to roll with their own guy, but I don't see a quarterback being the pick for the Redskins in 2020. They drafted Montez Sweat in the first round last year. But they haven't seen a ton of production from him. I think Chase Young makes sense here. Jerry Judy absolutely makes sense here. Judy and Terry McLaurin would be one of the most fun young wide receiver duos in football. So when I look at the Redskins, it's like, okay, Ryan Kerrigan is getting older, so Chase Young could be a, a, a need, but he's definitely a fit based on value. He's just so good that I, I, I would project him to be better than Kerrigan and Sweat. So it really doesn't matter who you have on the roster if this guy could be better. I'm going to go on the other side of the ball for Washington and say that with the rise of Terry McLaren and obviously maybe even Kelvin Harmon a little bit there, that they can take Chase Young in this spot, build out that front seven, get a premier pass rusher. You don't know what you have in Montez Sweat. You're not going to wait to find out. You're going to take the guy that you believe can be the Miles Garrett potentially of this draft class and just go get somebody that gets after the quarterback for you and defends the run as well as anyone nonstop there in Washington for what will be a new head coaching staff. Number three, the Miami Dolphins. They actually currently pick at number seven right now as well, thanks to that Steelers trade for Minka Fitzpatrick. So at three and seven, they have some flexibility here. Now, the Houston Texans pick uh, would be a little bit later. I believe right now it would be in the early 20s. Um, So they have three picks in round one. But I I think when you look at three, this is a team, and we talked about this earlier, they are all in on a quarterback. I I know that everyone kind of will see what happens with Josh Rosen. They did trade a not a premier pick, but they traded a, an early enough pick for him that you you would think you would want to wait and see where it goes with the rest of this year. But I think just right now, not projecting what happens with Rosen or how he looks, right now, I would feel like quarterback would be a priority. I don't like any of the other quarterbacks after Tua enough to draft one here. Same. That's just like me personally. I'm not drafting Justin Herbert in the top 10. Joe Burrow, I like a lot, but not at three. You know, guys like Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason really struggled this past weekend. Like, there's just, uh, there are too many question marks for any of those guys to draft them at three. So I think the Dolphins actually end up in a spot here, a lot like the Redskins, where, okay, if you're not drafting a quarterback, it does become Chase Young or Jerry Judy because they're the other two premier players in this class. And it's a class in which I feel like there are about five really good players. After that, there's a pretty big drop off. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think the Dolphins will also have to kind of take into account how do we want to rebuild this offensive line? Do we want to look at Tristan Wirfs? Do we want to look at Andrew Thomas? You know, how do we want to rebuild that unit? Maybe they do that with the second pick they have in this draft. That is the Steelers pick, which is looking like it could be a top 10 pick. So the Dolphins have a really interesting choice on their hands. Yeah, no, they they absolutely do. And I think so do your Jets, who would pick number yeah, four this is right where now. Because very interesting. And here's what, where I'll say. The draft does not line up well for the Jets this year. We've seen this no. team get lucky in the past. Jamal falls to them. Leo falls to them. Quinn Williams falls to them. Even Darnold. It's not good this year. It, yeah, even Darnold. It's not good this year. The, I guess what you could really hope for is that Jerry Judy falls and that they would just like, okay, well, let's just get Sam a true number one receiver. That doesn't solve the left tackle problem. It doesn't solve the fact that there is no outside pass rush. And A.J. Epinesa, a player I really like, He's not a fit for what they want to do on the edge. He's six foot six, two hundred eighty-five pounds. Yeah. He's almost gonna play. He would play inside here. They don't need that. It would be redundant. So I think it actually doesn't play well for the Jets. 
who have to hope and pray that Tristan Wirfs or Andrew Thomas over the next three months really emerges and looks like a guy who could be a top five picket tackle. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Matt. I think they're in a really weird spot here. I think offensive line will be huge. And I think at the same time, like you said, you got to start getting your prayer, your prayer sheet out and hope Jerry Judy falls to this <laughs> spot. Unless you believe a T Higgins or a CD lamb can go this early, but you look at the jets and, they got to rebuild this offensive line. I mean, it's they're going to lose guys to free agency. They haven't been that good anyway. And I don't know if they'll be picking top five. I'll be very curious to see how things shake out when Darnold is back. But, man, Joe Douglas has a lot of work to do in his first offseason with this team. Yeah, and, and thankfully they have a lot of money. They're going to be able to be aggressive that way. But they, they do need... They need some work, buddy. Number five, the Denver Broncos. Again, <laughs> a team we didn't do. expect to be this high. They need a left tackle. The Garrett Bowles experience was a bad one. It just is not working. No. I don't think they'll go quarterback here. I think they are a team that I, this is where I believe the Jeffrey Akuda start talk starts probably with the Jets at four. Yeah, it does. But the, the Broncos would have to consider him as well. Chris Harris Jr., we don't know how much longer he'll be in Denver. So I think corner becomes very interesting here. I've said before, I like Akuda more than I liked Denzel Ward. I like him more than I liked Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, he's he's one of the best corners I've seen in the last five or six years. He's just that talented. Yeah, he's a great cover corner. The way he plays the ball, he's got you know great hips, good speed, good length. He really checks every box. It's almost like you just want to see more of him to keep writing the same notes and be like, okay, yeah, he's exactly what I thought, and that's a top 10 player. And then the Broncos at the same time, say they win a handful of more games, Matt. When do they fall into the conversations of the Joe Burrows, the Jacob Eason's of the world, these quarterbacks where you go, well, they have all the talent, or did they just take a guy like that and drew lock in last year's draft? I think they kind of did. And I almost feel like we've got seen a 180 on Drew Locke, unfortunately, where now people are like, oh, I didn't really like him. But it's yeah. just because he's been hurt. He hasn't played. It's not his fault that he had a thumb injury in the preseason. So I feel like they would they would roll with Drew Locke still. I, I don't think Elway wants to give up on that. Uh, I, I know they really liked him. And I liked Drew Locke as well. I, I thought that he was definitely worthy of where they picked him. He's worth developing and seeing where he's at. So I, I feel like they owe it to him to wait and see. But that does, I mean, it does make it interesting because here we are at pick number six and we're like, okay, one quarterback's come off the board in Tua. I, I, the Falcons aren't drafted one. No. The Dolphins at seven, well, they would just draft the guy at three if they really liked them. So there are a lot of teams that need quarterbacks. They're mostly picking in that like nine to 20 range right now. You know, the, the teams that need quarterbacks. Trade up. Yeah, there's, <laughs> I think we could see a good amount of trade up this year where, especially like, you know, the, I feel like the Chargers are a team where they're interesting enough that, like, could they try to draft a quarterback of the future? Maybe they like Easton Stick. You know, the Titans at 13, the Bucks at 14. They need upgrades at quarterback. You know, what are we going to see Carolina do? What are we going to see Jacksonville? They obviously wouldn't draft quarterbacks, but if they go with their young guys, that could put Nick Foles on the market. It could put Cam Newton on the market, which yeah. would then Jameis Winston might be on the market. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's who knows? It's going to. No, I mean, and even in Pittsburgh, you know, I mean, after watching Mason Rudolph uh, struggle at times, you know, I I, I think anyone's going to struggle with that offense <clears> right now with, with how they're playing. But uh, and after taking that terrifying hit on Sunday, you know, the Steelers could be a team. that's like, OK, well, we need to start thinking about a quarterback in the future because that guy didn't get it done. They traded Josh Dobbs. So maybe the Steelers would be a team that would surprise us. But I, I do think this year the, the draft is going to be the wide receiver class is amazing. There's a lot of quarterbacks to evaluate, and there's a couple good defenders. 
this doesn't look like it's going to be that super top-heavy draft where there's 12 names that yeah. we're all geeked about. I think there's five names probably. You know, Chase Young, Jerry Judy, Tua, Epinesa, and Jeffrey Akuda are the guys where I'm like, okay, that's five guys I'm pretty excited about. After that, I think there's a lot of good players who are still trying to prove themselves to some degree. That's exactly right. It's about premium talent. And, you know, those names come off the board in those first couple picks. And at the end of the day, then you get into the the 20 to 40 range kind of players where they're all the same. Yeah, yeah, all the same. Connor tailgate it too hard this week. <laughs> yeah, That's I'm dying. <laughs> He's dying. He's dying the voice. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to get to your guys' draft on draft questions. There's a lot of good ones this week. It is draft on draft time. Time to get through all your questions of the week. And the first one, at ice water only. Okay, that's one way to live. That's what I should have done this weekend. (laughs) How much has J.K. Dobbins stock gone up? I understand there's Taylor up in Wisconsin and Swift in UGA, but J.K. has been running hard all season while averaging seven yards per carry. Yeah, I tweeted about this a little bit on Sunday morning. No running back has moved up for me like J.K. Dobbins has this year. And I think we're seeing him play better on third down, especially, which is key. He just looks stronger and faster this year. I thought last year he really got showed up by Mike Weber. And going back to his freshman year, he's just in such better shape now. And it shows with, you know, like the breakaway run that he had on Saturday. I don't think he's doing that as a freshman. So I think J.K. Dobbins is stock way up. He's he's my number four running back right now, but that means a round two pick. So I think that's a really good spot for Dobbins to be. Yeah, he's had a great bounce back year. I mean, you pretty much have he's been showing you everything you could have asked of him after being just okay last year. All right, TMR Troopers, is Minshew or Kyle Allen more likely to remain the starter when the original quarterbacks come back healthy? Gosh, this is really tough. We talk about it every week, too. Right. I do feel like it's Gardner Minshew because you can sit Nick Foles without as many questions as sitting Cam Newton. Cam Newton has, I mean, he is really rejuvenated football in the Carolinas. Like he is the face of that team. Nick Foles never really played that much for the Jaguars. So I don't know if that is an issue where you're like, oh my God, they just paid him. I know Melo said this a couple shows ago. The Seahawks paid Matt Flynn once and benched him for Russell Wilson. That worked out okay. So I, I think... Uh, Kyle Allen's playing well. I do want to tip the cap to him. He's playing well. He has that team uh, executing beautifully. Christian McCaffrey has just taken off. I I would like to see both of them keep the job, but I think Minshew is the one that's much more likely to keep it. All right, stick to Football Hall of Fame member Patrick Chamberlain. On a scale of 1 to 10, how worried are you about the performance of the following quarterbacks so far this year? Jared Goff, Baker Mayfield, Mitch Trubisky, Trevor Lawrence as the last one. Wow. So I'm not worried about golf because I, I we've seen golf play well and, and quarterbacks go through peaks and valleys a little bit. So I would say with golf, I'm a, I like a three. I, he's going to be fine. I even thought in that loss um, to Seattle that he had a lot of really good throws. Their defense just did not play very well. And, and Russell Wilson's Russell Wilson. I am pretty worried about Baker Mayfield because I think what we're seeing from him like we were talking about earlier, he's not stepping up in the pocket. He's falling back into this old habit of of he's always going to his right. He's always drifting. D coordinators have picked up on that, and they're going to continue to pick up on that. Like last night, they're flushing him so hard to his right, and then they're just cleaning it up with delayed pressure. That's that's not hard to do. I mean, we can sit here and scheme that up. So imagine what a defensive coordinator in the NFL is going to do. So on Baker, I would say I'm at like a six. Mitch Trubisky, I'm at a ten. Like yeah, I'm it's, all it's the way scary. worried about Mitch Trubisky. And I'm worried about Matt Nagy, who was I, I was 
very out front in, you know, saying I thought that's who they should hire. It's just not working there right now, even pre-injury. With Trevor Lawrence, I'm not worried at all. It's like a one, I guess, a zero, because he's a sophomore. This happens. I remember, and I've, I've talked about this a lot. I remember watching Jared Goff struggle in college. He was still the first pick of the draft. I remember watching Josh Allen struggle. He was still a top 10 pick. And I think that's something that I will say about all these guys. It, one bad game from a quarterback doesn't worry me. I actually said this to Mello Sunday going to Kansas City. We've been so spoiled by Tom Brady that we don't expect quarterbacks to have bad games anymore. Because like Brady just doesn't really ever have a shitty game and it costs the team. And if he has over the last 19 years, like they're not memorable. Now when a quarterback struggles, we're like, you're not supposed to do this. Yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers <laughs> even struggles. But like Brady has been so great that the, the bar is set super high for quarterback play. Even our guy Mahomes, like, He's had two kind of average games back he to back. Human. People are freaking out. Yeah, but he's still like, he's still really really good. He's probably still the MVP. Like let's let's just chill a little bit. Yeah, especially for Trevor Lawrence who just celebrated his twentieth birthday last weekend. That's how young the guy is. Yeah. All right, Dustin Lackey. With everything going on with Washington, do you think that Dwayne Haskins turns into Josh Rosen? No, and here's why, because I feel like Haskins has the confidence of the front office. Rosen lost the confidence of Steve Kime, and and he never had the confidence of Cliff Kingsbury when he was brought in. So I don't feel like, you know, like with Rosen, he was that front office and that head coach's guy. When the head coach was gone, he was no longer the the, the cute girl in school. (laughs) I I think with Haskins, and and a lot lot could change depending on who they hire, but I, I really do believe that he's the front office's guy still. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at it. I don't think they'll hire a coach that doesn't sign on to develop Haskins. I think that's the most important thing in all of it. So, right. All right. Final question. Draft on draft of the day. Thanks again for everyone. Keep sending those. Even if you've already sent one, we haven't used. I have it logged. Wilhelm von Stupid are the Niners. Matt's going to like this one. Are the Niners the best team in the NFC? They're the only undefeated team. You are right? what your so, record is. You are. I think the best team, I think it's Seattle. Like They're just playing so well. I can't wait to watch the Niners and Seahawks play. Hopefully both teams are healthy because I, I feel like the Seahawks are just amazing right now. You know, the Packers look good. They look great. I don't think you can ever count out like the Eagles. The Cowboys, I think they'll get some things figured out. The Niners do look really good, but yep. Seattle's the one team where I would be like, I don't want to fuck with those guys. Like, and when the Saints I, I don't want to do with Russell Wilson right now. Yeah, the Saints. Like my guy Teddy Two Gloves just keeps rolling. Yeah, he's so. he's, car- he's driving the bus. He's steering the ship right now, and keeping it upright. That old 2014 uh, pre-draft scouting report on Teddy's coming in handy. <laughs> it's right like the now. Undertaker gif of him rising yeah. up. <laughs> oh man, uh, I absolutely love it. All right, that is our show. Connor, get some rest on that voice. Yeah, uh, it's usually season. me this time oh. of year that loses their voice. I know. So. I'm the new you uh, as I as I get older. Yay. Yeah, some hot tea and honey. That's what you have to look forward to. We will be back Friday morning, all three of us, God willing, with our voices as we get you ready for the weekend. Don't forget this Saturday, 9 a.m. off the cuff in Deep Ellum in Dallas, Texas. We'll be there pre-gaming and then watching Texas lose to OU. Yes, I'm already depressed. It's going to be fun. (laughs) There will be shots on hand, guaranteed. For Connor, this is Matt. We'll talk to you guys real soon. 